Hey, TABC family, welcome back to the podcast. We're glad to have you with us as we seek to go deeper into Sunday's teaching and ask the questions that will help us live out God's word in our daily lives. That's why we do this podcast, to equip the followers of Jesus here at 12th to grow in obedience and affection for him every day. Our hope is that at 12th, we would be a biblical community of kingdom people who are joining God in the restoration of all things, one person, one place at a time. And our desire is that our time together today equips you to do just that. Thanks for being with us. Let's jump in. Hey guys, it is Jordan here with Garen and it has been a long time coming, but it is the final podcast about names of God. Garen, this series has spanned a couple months. It's been really good, but like three and a half months. We're finally here to finally. the end of it. Yeah. Finally. So it was like a marathon. It was I a mean, marathon. I enjoyed doing it. I learned a lot myself, but yeah, people hung in there with it. So I think we enjoyed it because it was so good each week. But any, I mean, no matter how good the content is, when you, Come to the end of a long one. It's kind of like, whew. Yeah. So, yeah. I think it's been good, but I, I, I'm i excited for the next thing already. Yeah. So, okay. But we still want to do justice for this last one because you took us to Genesis 21 and the name of God, El Olam, which is God everlasting or God eternal. And um, any particular reason why you left this one for the end? Was that strategic or was it just kind of how the chips fell? Yeah, actually, I was going to end in May with Yahweh Rapha. And then I just was thinking about, you know, Adam and I was still out there and I thought, I'm going to be gone, but I'm going to ask Brent to do that. And and I knew this El Alam was out there and I just thought, you know, the everlasting God, everybody knows that. I don't know how significant it is. And then I thought, you know, maybe I should top it off with that. And then as I got into it, I'm like, actually, this one is a good one to tie it up because it actually does contain the rest of it. We can get to that in a minute. And I talked about it yesterday. It, it does speak to the totality of his names. So as I got into it, I'm like, this is actually better than I expected. So I was glad, at least for me, that I dove into it. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it was useful too. Can you talk about Genesis 21 and a little bit of why that was extra meaningful to you, um, especially like considering the name, the everlasting God, because I think the way you were talking yesterday, it's like, okay, you know, Abraham, he meets with Abimelech and it's a good story, but maybe felt a little place. And then when you put it in context of God's promise to be everlasting, it kind of makes more sense. Yeah. I read through Genesis again last year. And I remember when I read this, I'm like, why is this in here? Okay. I trust God, but I'm like, basically he and a dude meet. And the guy's like, would you be nice to us and not lie? And he's like, okay. And he goes, and by the way, your dudes took a well. And I want it back. And then Abraham gives him a bunch of cattle, including, what, seven ewes or something? And then the dude's like, it says, and I'm not sure why you did that. And then he just says, well, we're all good. And then he praised El Olam and he planted a tree. And I just remember thinking like, why this story just doesn't seem super significant. I would never just pick that text and preach it because I didn't know what you'd talk about, hardly. But it's where El Olam occurs the first time. And so so I'm like, okay, I got to dig into it and then realize the purpose of Genesis 21. And it's actually really significant. And so it was helpful for me because what to me was a story of like, why is this here? 
it became actually significant. And that's because back in Genesis 17, God makes Abraham a few promises, right? Yeah. He makes an everlasting covenant, says four times. I'm, this is an everlasting covenant. He keeps emphasizing that. And I had two components. I'm going to give you a son that will become a nation to bless all nations, and I'm going to give you the land. So Isaac is given at the beginning of the beginning 21, 21, Isaac is born. And at the very end, they get the land. Yeah, this king comes and says, basically, you've been living here for 30-some years, and he recognizes his right to own land, to own a well. And so it, it like, it's like you get property rights. It's kind of like local, the local king saying, we, uh, we, you can live here, and you can have land. And it's, so it, those two things are tangibly answered in Genesis 21. So he had been promised them. Here it is 25 years later, and the, they're finally being fulfilled. And so he's been knowing he got this everlasting covenant, but he's not seen it until chapter 21. And now it's tangible. So refresh my memory here. At this point in Genesis 21, God has promised Abraham land in Canaan, right? Uh-huh. And so Abraham is living there but there's no like army or anything on Abraham's side. So, but others are hearing of him and hearing of his God and even a little fearful of him. Is, is that how it's working or? Yeah. It's just that there's all these city States and there's nations around him and he's just a dude with a wife and his nephew and some servants that are like living in tents, moving around. And it's like, okay, he's there, but is he really there? God said, this is going to, this land is going to belong to your descendants. And this is the first time that a King, one of the king dudes says, we recognize your right to have land here. So how does that happen? How does a powerful king of a city-state recognize a dude's small family who, you know, worships a foreign god and, and even kind of shows him this respect a little bit, Abimelech does? Yeah. So, I mean, how does that happen? Yeah, I think it's, he, he's just like, we've seen that God is with you. This high God, whoever he is, I mean, they just called him the high God. He's with you because they had seen like, they knew the story of the, the that what some kings had raided and took some of the, uh, I don't remember all the details right now, but you remember, and then Abraham grabbed some dudes and he took off after him and caught up with them in the north and defeated them and took all their stuff back and even had some booty. And I mean, these were like five king guys, like state kings that he, he and a group, a ragtag army defeats. And on the way back, Melchizedek comes out of what would be Jerusalem, eventually Salem. And he's like, I recognize God's on you. I'm going to bless you. So there have been things happening and they've been seeing, um, they've seen like God is really with this guy. And so they've come to recognize that there's something going on more than this is just a family. There's something behind him, a power, you know, this God that they don't know. And so, yeah, that's just over the course of those 30 years, they've, people there have begun to recognize there's more going on than just a dude that's camping out here for 30 years. So the name of Yahweh is starting to gain some traction there with the Canaanite peoples. They're starting to see some small ways that he is for real. And so Abimelech is one of those people and he just notices, hey, I notice you and your God. There's something to it. So yeah, we're going to deal with you honestly. And there's yeah. a little bit of trepidation yep. there. Of, and so, it, and it's the name that's used is Elohim. So he's, it's not the Yahweh name, but Abimelech's like El, the Elohim God, the high God. We see that he's with you. So to them, he's still unknown. We don't know who that is, but we just know there's a high God. They kind of thought it was one God of Dung Mini, kind of a hierarchy, hierarchy of gods. But yeah, he's just like, whoever that dude is, the big one upstairs, like he's with you. It's really mm. obvious. Okay. Because anytime you do something, it gets blessed. Yeah. You go to Egypt and you lie to the Egyptian 
You, you lie to the Pharaoh about your wife and you leave with a bunch of stuff. Like he gives you stuff. Right. And something's going on there. Yeah, he's, he's like, just the, just everything that happens with you, like you've got pixie dust. Is that how you would? He's like, we can see the pixie dust on you. Yeah, but he knows some, it's from God. Something's going on. Yeah. And so you, he's you like, you know what? You can live here. We're recognizing that right. Okay. We're not going to mess with you. So the key is those, those two promises in Exodus, in Genesis 17 are fulfilled in 21. So when I read that, I'm like, okay, that's why this story, because it's the second promise being fulfilled to Abraham. And that's why he then praises him at the end of the chapter. You're El Olam. You are the God, the everlasting God, because you made an everlasting covenant. And now you've come through. And in my experience, I've seen it. So I'm praising you for that. Hmm. So Abimelech, the first of the Canaanite people to maybe recognize the power of God a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. The first guy we know of that just is like, I've seen God work through you. You'd have to go back chapter 20 because Abimelech, there's a story. This is a story where we don't have to get in this much, where Abraham goes and hangs out in Gerar for a little bit. And he, that's the second time he lies and says, this is my sister. Yeah, right. Right. And so then Abimelech gets ticked off. He's like, because God shows up and says, I'm about ready to blow you guys out of the water. And then Abimelech's like, I didn't know. So he's had some work. He's already had some experience with Abraham and God anyways. But yeah, just the, but the people in that land were starting to recognize something supernatural is going on with this guy. Hmm. And so we better, we better be good and good with him. And so it's funny, he comes in with all his power and he's like, hey, just don't lie to us and just be kind. Would you please be kind? Because we know you've got like a, this power behind you. And so. Yeah. And he's like, hey, can you be honest this time with us? Like, don't lie about who your wife is anymore. Right. Because that got us in hot water. Okay. So this could be a little bit of a rabbit trail. You don't have to go far on it, but it just kind of came to my mind. So we kind of see people outside of the family of God, meaning the Israelites who recognize the power of God uh -huh. from time to time and God blesses them or they are spared in some cases. So um, Abimelech, at the end of his life, he dies. Do you think he lives forever with God or not? Yeah. Not sure if he... Do we have enough here to we make don't a have enough. The, the question is, is because they worshiped already in Canaan, the God El as the highest God. God takes that, he uses that name Elohim because that's their word for God. He's redefining it. So whether he put his faith in the true and living God as opposed to the Canaanite God, we don't know. But at least they got through Abraham, they were getting exposed to who the true mm -hmm. God was. And hopefully they would come to worship the true God, realizing like this God is with him. Yeah. And so let's listen to what he says about God because what he says, he really, he has it in with, he's inside. Right. He's got inside knowledge on this guy. Do we know which people group Abimelech belongs to? He's a Philistine. He's a Philistine. Uh -huh. Okay. That Gerar was a Philistine city-state. So it was one of the, okay. he was a Philistine person. Well, if he did follow God, he didn't do a great job of convincing his people because they went and yeah, later, wreaked some havoc for right. quite some time. Okay. Hey, we talked about um, a few of the characteristics of God that kind of go with being eternal, that go with being everlasting. There were three of them. The first was that he is self-existent. The second, that he's timeless. And the third is that he is a big, uh, this is a big smart person word, immutable, <laughs> which you probably haven't used today, but we'll talk about that one. So these were all cool in their own way and really important. So I just thought we could break them down for just a second, but a self-existent God, to, in my mind, that just means that he does not depend on anything else for existence, that yeah. he always has been and always yep. will be. And it's, he sustains himself. It is yep. nothing else that 
created him or keeps him going. Yep. Is that, am I thinking about exactly. that the right way? You just nailed it. That's why in Acts, in Acts 16, Paul preaching the Athenian said, this God, he doesn't need anything from you to sustain him. Yeah, he's just self-sustaining. So that's exactly what it means. Okay. So he is a self-existent God, not reliant on anything else for life. The second is that he is a timeless God. This one got a little bit trippy. It and is trippy. The way that you explained it even made my head hurt a little bit, but basically that God is, God is God everlasting. Therefore, he is present in every moment of human history simultaneously. Yes. Which, try, try that on for size. Yeah. That'll just spin your head a little bit. But so basically what you said was like, oh, I set an alarm to pray for my friend going into surgery at one o'clock. Well, at 1.30, I realized my alarm didn't go off. So I can pray at that moment and say, God, you are God everlasting. So even though the, uh, the surgery's already started, I'm going to pray for it. And I know that you will hear my prayer back at yeah, one o'clock. Because yeah, you were in the surgery started. You are very, you were existing and present at that time. And so you are not confined by time. Yeah. And so it's not like, oh, sorry, I, you missed it. You blew it. That was 30 minutes ago for me too. Yeah. Okay. It's already done. What's right. done is done. But he's actually present at that time. That is so trippy. So he is just as present at the beginning of creation as he is right now, as he is yes. in new creation to come. Yeah. And wow. that's why Jesus can say when he's debating the Pharisees and they're talking about Abraham and they're like, you're crazy. How can you talk about him? He lived 2000 years ago and you're, and you're just not even, you're 30 years old or something. And he says, I tell you, Abraham was glad to see my day. And before Abraham was born, I am. And so Jesus is claiming, yeah, that timeless. Can you imagine even, the authority that he dropped the mic with? on that one with like, that is so incredible to think Moses saw me in his day. It's like, whoa, yeah, whoa. Okay. Yeah. You're saying something that we're not ready for right now. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. But even, you know, another thing this, so this one to me is, it's a little crazy, but it has some like, you know, Paul talks about God's foreknowledge in Romans eight. The Greek word actually doesn't mean to know ahead of time. It means to know intimately actually. And it's the idea, because we tend to think, we tend to put God in time all the time, right? So I'm like, oh, if I were to go to God and say, God, what am I going to do in 20 years? It's like, oh, he can see into the future, right? He can look into 20 years ahead of time because he has foreknowledge. Again, that's a bad translation of the word. But the idea isn't that. It's that he would say, oh, you want to know what you're doing in 20 years on this day and this time? He said, I'm actually there. I'm right. Right now I'm watching you. Hmm. And here's what you're doing. Hmm. And I'm interact. You don't even know it. I'm interacting with you. I'm involved in your life at this time. So it's not even that he has foreknowledge or past knowledge. It's just that every, all time is present to him. Is that, is Romans 8 the one that, I thought it was in Ephesians where God says those he foreknew, he predestined. Uh -huh. That's Romans 8, That's 29. Romans 8. So not to get too down this rabbit hole because we could talk forever yeah, about it. I don't want to get down that. But you're saying that when it says those he foreknew, isn't necessarily talking about a timeline, but an intimacy. Yeah, it actually thing. means to know very deeply and intimately. And the reason he knows me intimately and deeply in the future is because he's actually there and he can see exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. Okay. And then what he foreknows, we'll just finish that verse. He foreknows to be conformed to the image of Jesus. So it's not, that's not about salvation. Um, the predestination there is not about salvation. It's just predestined that those who know him will become like Jesus. But yeah, that's, so there's, it's, it's a crazy idea. It's mind-boggling. I don't totally get it. But it there's some ways that it's actually helpful. It's mind-boggling and I don't get it. But if I'm going to worship a God, I kind of want him to be a little bit mind-boggling. I don't want to be able to just understand That's every true. little thing about him, you know? Like how lame if you could totally understand and put in a box the thing that you worship and devote your life to, you know? 
So yeah. it is frustrating a little bit to not understand. And it is kind of like, man, God, there's so many things about you. I can't even wrap my mind around, but at the same time, I'm okay with it weirdly. Yeah. I don't know how you feel about that, but. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, we should, we should, yeah. If we think we got them all figured out, then there's a problem. Our theology is not very good and we got a pretty limited God. Yeah. So. On to the last one, immutability, which is unchanging. Is that what that means? Yep. Unchanging. But you can't say unchanging because you have to be, yeah, you, you got you to earn the paycheck up there. That's so, right. Immutability. I'm, I'm getting paid. So I got to say by the, big, by, by the syllable, the big theology words. So immutability, meaning that he will never change. He He's never the changes. same yesterday, today, forever. And to me, that was why this almost was the great cap to this whole thing. Because one of the scripture, I think it was with Psalm 135, 13, said, your name is unchanging. And again, it doesn't mean his name, Yahweh or Elohim, you know, that that doesn't ever change. It's, name meaning character. Yeah, it means character. So right. what it's saying is, is your character never changes. And so what that tells me is, is God is always all of his attributes at one. It's not like he's loving in this one. He's just in that thing. And he's, he's my shepherd here, but he's my provider in that one. It's he's all that whole package and everything. And he brings everything of who he is to the table in every interaction with me. And that I need to hear that. And I need to know that. Garen, I think that people struggle with this one a lot because they look at how God has dealt with certain people in certain situations and they, not, not that they're correct, but they would say, oh, really? Well, look how God destroyed these people here right. or how he showed mercy here or how he you know, did whatever here. It really seems like he's changing his yes. tune right. quite a bit. Yes. So what would you say to somebody who struggles with yeah, that? Yeah, that's great. That's a good example. What I would say about that is if you've been a parent, you understand how all of those come to bear at one time. So if, if one of my kids pulled the hair of another child, um, my love and my justice are, inact- are activated at the same time. Mm-hmm. And because it's just because that was the wrong thing to do. But my love is I have, to, I have to protect the child that got hurt, but I also need to let out of love, let that uh, child know who did it, that that's not the way to live. Mm-hmm. But I've got a third child who's watching this happen and they need to know justice and my, my love. And so the way I interact to that, so what I do is I come and I say, you, you know, we've talked about pulling hair. And so I've got to enact We've talked about this particular form of discipline, but it's all, even though you don't get it, I love you, right? But what I'm doing is my love and justice are both coming to bear on that. But somebody looking the outside might be like, well, wow, look at that parent. All they're doing is punishing. And you're like, no, there's deep love in this. Mm -hmm. So I think as a parent, you understand this more because you you live in that a lot to where you're bringing more than just one thing to bear. To that child, it looks like it's only justice. That's all it looks like. Mm-hmm. Oh, you don't love me. Like little kids say that. Sure. It's like, no, actually, I'm loving all three of you mm-hmm. at this time. And so this is really important that I do this. So yeah. so God's the same way. Yeah, we look at the Old Testament. Oh, he's just blowing people away. Well, what a kind of mean God. Well, he's being loving actually to them, to the people that they are abusing, that they're, wait, being unjust to. He's, a, he's being loving to the nations around them who are seeing this yeah, and who are learning, like, who is this God? So, right. You really, if we can kind of change gears here real quick and step away from the Sunday message and talk about the Q&A that happened last week. You dealt with this really well. We had a, our first summer institute. It was a Q&A session with Garen for two hours. You basically sat down around pizza, just answered questions from the audience. And one person, as you know, this question always comes up in every Q&A ever with a pastor, but somebody said, and rightfully so, it's a good one. They said, hey, the God of the Old Testament seems like he did a lot of killing and a lot of murdering and a lot of hating. Yeah. So what's up with that? And you gave a really great answer of, of 
essentially, I'm not going to do all justice, but essentially, um, if you knew what those people groups were doing that God wiped out, you would have mm-hmm. said, why didn't he act sooner? Because yes. the things they were doing were unspeakable. Unspeakable. And so yeah, you, abhorrent. if you knew how long God had let them do that and gave them a chance to change their ways, you wouldn't say, why is God wiping out women and children? You'd say, why didn't he do that 400 years ago? Yeah, right. Because so much suffering has happened. Yeah. And so I think it just speaks to the fact that we sometimes see one thing from God, like a parent disciplining a child in a parking lot or something or whatever. Uh-huh. And yes. it's like, oh, I know what that's all about. You have no yes. idea the context. Yeah. You have no idea. Yes. Um, the heart behind it, the lessons that are being taught in yeah, it. Right. Um, that's not that's not licensed to beat your child in the Walmart parking lot. But you know what I'm saying? Like it's so hard to just fly by something and see an action and say, oh, I know what's up with that. Yep. And and if that's true for humans, how much more is that true for the father? Yep. Like his motivations and context with human history is so much deeper and and wider and more vast than ours. And so like for us to just read a verse and say, oh, he did what to who? Oh, what, a, what an evil, hateful, yeah, yes. murdering God. Yeah. yeah. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah. So, yep. And, and it all fits under that umbrella of immutability. Yes. To know that his character is the same. And just like you said, he's dealing with justice and love and all those things together. Yeah. Um, They're all coming to bear sense. on that. You can't always see it. That's why I brought it to parent. I think as a parent understands that a little more, but all of his qualities, all of his attributes, all of his names are constantly being brought to bear in my life. One may stand out to me, but if I talked to him, he'd be like, actually, I was bringing all of them to bear for you. You just met me. I let you meet me in that one particular way, but you were meeting me in full force, totally who I am. So that's why that immutability to me was really important. And I spent probably the, I'd spent the most time on that of those three. Mm -hmm. So maybe because, well, they're all pretty hard to wrap your mind around. Yes. I mean, when you think about something being self-existent, that's pretty trippy. And then the timelessness is trippy and the immutability. I don't know if immutability is like hard to understand, but it's maybe the hardest to really believe and buy into. Because right. we don't see it. And- because we are so not that. Yeah. And yeah, we can't see all of it. And it's yeah. just hard for us to really see. That's why I said like yeah. nobody, nobody or no thing that we know is fully perfect or fully stable. So we can kind of imagine it, but we don't experientially know anything or anybody like that. And so to know that, to have him reveal, I'm the one person that is like that, that's... We all need to know that. I think the closest comparison would be Kansas basketball. Yeah, I mean, probably. If you want to talk about immutability. Just making the tournament year I mean, after they, year. Yeah, they've been longer. They get longer than anybody else. I mean, the most wins in NCAA basketball, they're over Kentucky by about 13. I mean, pretty uh, much everything with KU basketball is immutable. That immutable. is about occasionally Bill loses in the Sweet 16. Just to, we don't go to the final four. remind us that. Yeah that only got as immutable. But, you know, you got to give it to K-State. You go to Bramlage, they're pretty immutable in the NIT as well. They got the banners. <laughs> they, they've gone for a long time. So, all right. Sorry, guys. Somebody gave me a hard time the other day. I said, you just can't go a whole podcast without downing on K-State. And I thought, you know what? I really can't. It's, I'm trying to give it up. Okay, next thing that you talked about, and this was really key, was you talked about God's love being everlasting and that Hebrew word for love, hesed, meaning his... Uh, that sacrificial, unconditional, yes. always there, agape love. It's the Old Testament word for agape. And that is the kind of love that is used the most in accordance with the Father in the Old Testament. Is that right? Yeah. And the word, if you take that everlasting, the thing that is most said about God and his everlastingness, it is his love is everlasting. Oh, okay. 44 times in the Old Testament. Not his judgment. No, no. Not his 
X, Y, Z, but his love. Yeah, righteousness once, guidance once. I mean, I went through all those words, but 44 times <coughs> his love. And so he knew we need to hear that and we need to know that that chesed always there, almost like parental love, I'm there for you, for your goodness sake, unconditionally, that thing is for you is everlasting. And so that chesed love is not absent in judgment. It is not absent in punishment or allowing someone to learn. Like we said, the Israelites learn a formative lesson. It's not absent in that. Um, Just like when you maybe discipline a child or allow them to learn a lesson. Yeah. I mean, but sometimes we forget that God is so nuanced and he is, he's, there's layers there to him. Yes. And so we just see one thing we think, Oh, God is this. And now he's this. Yeah. Right. That is the motivator behind everything. It's, it's in all of it. And and there's all of us at some point in our life are wondering, does God really care about me? Does he love or is he in this? And that's probably why that one is repeated the most. Tied to everlasting is his love because we just need that reminder. So that's why I ended with that. I said it was like the ace of spades to me. It was mm. the thing I wanted to throw out, throw on the table at the end because just a lot of people need to hear that um, at some point in your life. We all need to be reminded of that. You have to break that down for me. I'm not familiar with Ace of Spades. I'm Baptist, so I don't play cards. But is that like a <laughs> like a go fish thing? Or? Yeah, it's kind of like in go fish. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's like the best card. I don't know what that is in go fish, but there's yeah. got it. Maybe the red ones. I don't know what it is. Well, we wouldn't know. We'll have yeah. to get a Presbyterian on here. Probably and... the crimson blue go fish or the two Trump ones. Wouldn't you say <laughs> like the two highest level? I think so. Now we have go fish cards. We play with Nelly, and there is crimson and blue fish in there, purple, white, other colors. But those are the Trump. those are the two best ones. They're the Trump, the yeah. Trump colors. Yeah. That's good. Tr- Trump cards, yeah. Trump, Trump cards. Right? Trump, Trump. We also said Trump the most times on this podcast. This is going to get a lot of hits. <laughs> yeah, this. <laughs> Man, we're just going out with a bang on this one. Um, okay, almost through here, but just a few more things I wanted to point out. Garen, you, um, at the beginning, at least of first service, I'm not how sure, sure how second went, but with first service, you kind of jumped a few slides at the beginning. I know there were some things you left out for time's sake. Can you just quickly speak to what those were? And yeah, why actually, they so I'm glad. Important? Actually, to me, an important concept because we, you know, Jordan, you know this. We throw out church words or even Bible words so much that sometimes I don't even think we think of what it means. And so what I was going to hit with just initially, we are told to praise his name, to glorify his name, ascribe greatness to his name, to extol his name, to proclaim his name. And I think we just like slide over that. I know I have for a long time. And to me, it just means praise his name. Oh, it just means praise God. We just don't, because name, like I don't praise your name. Like, oh, Jordan, every time we see you, that's such an awesome name. We don't do that. Well, again, the reminder that his name is his character. So it's not saying praise his name. It's saying praise his character. And so what I was going to encourage people is not just, so pray, if you, if you need provision, pray to Yahweh Yaira. But when he provides, then go to him and say, Lord, I praise you and I adore you because you are Yahweh Yaira. I've seen that. I knew that, but I've seen it experientially. I want to praise you because you are a providing God. Or if I'm struggling, I did a funeral this year that was really, really hard. And a lot of people were praying for me to have peace. And like 10 minutes before that thing, God totally settled my heart down so I could be fully present in the thing. And that was a prayer answered by Yahweh Shalom. And so afterwards, I'm like, Lord, you are Yahweh Shalom. You are the giver of peace and you gave it to me when I needed it. I praise you that you are the giver of peace. So that's what that, that those praise his name, glorify his name, that we're actually meant to be praising specific attributes of his revealed in names. So I was just trying to give a better sense of what that means. Hmm. Okay. 
So I encourage people in your praise, in our prayer time, part of it is praising God and giving thanks is mention these character traits that are revealed in his names. And yeah, say, I praise that about you, that you're, you're the Lord of angels armies because you came through for me. Right. Yeah, those cards are so useful that you gave out to us. And I hope they're still back at the info desk. I grabbed mine last week, but just with all the names of God on it. And uh, especially cool, not just in a head knowledge way, but in a quiet time way to sit there and read through those and just think, what do I need? Yes. What attribute of God do I need to speak? Do I need to speak to me right yeah. now? So, yep. And we share that in staff this morning. And mine right now is just God shepherding. Just been a long, hard year, a lot of emotional things. And I'm just like, Lord, I'm needing you to kind of lead me to buy some still waters and mm-hmm. into the green pastures this summer. Not to put me out to pasture. That's what you, to, said. you said in staff. You said, Lord, you should put me out to pasture. And I thought, <laughs> oh no, we can't transition pastures again. Not this quick. <laughs> That's good. Um, okay. Very last thing, Garen, as we kind of put a bow on this whole uh, Names of God series, because this was the last one. Um, one thing that you've kind of talked about throughout this whole thing is letting our difficulties shape our view of God. Can you talk about what that means and why that ties in well with this series? Yeah, just, you know, I said at the very beginning when I did Yahweh and I brought it back this time to bookend it, but just if you reflect back, how often do these names occur in the midst of difficulty, like the water at Mara, right? There's bitter water and they're, they're thirsty and just we can, Hagar, we can go through so many of those. And because I really feel like that it's in our difficulty when we most, when God, when he meets us in that, we most can see an attribute of his come through. And so I'm just really encourage all of us that when I get into difficulty, rather than just think about, you know, poor me, look at my situation, see that from God and ask God, what, how can I, how can I come to know you more personally and experientially through this? Help me to trust you in that, to lean into it. I definitely need you to provide would you please do that? Take care of this. And so it's just to, to and, and let me learn you experientially that way. I know in my head, you're my provider. I, I want to know it in my gut. I want to feel it. I want to see it. So it's just encouraging people to use, lean in their difficulty to let God reveal himself to them in some way. It's so natural for us to, in difficulty, shut down or cut ourselves off spiritually or mm-hmm. think, wow, I've done something wrong and mm-hmm. I need to fix it. But to think of that as a time that can actually shape our view of God is pretty revolutionary, yeah. I would say, to most people. Now, I'm not trying to down on our church. I think people in the Western church, I need that, you know, like all of us to, to let those hard times shape our view of God is something yes. that we can all grow in. I think. Yeah. Because, so. yeah, we're in a Western culture that when, if things, we're, we're soft. I mean, it's just the reality. Bad things happen. It's so easy. It's like, oh, God doesn't care. Forget God. I'm going to blow him off. I understand that. I've been there. Instead of doing that, be like, I want to lean into this because I think God is going to meet me in a way, some way, and I'm going to learn something about him experientially. And it'll go from my head to my heart. Like, yeah. I'll know him more intimately. So to look for him in that. Yeah. And when you say we're soft, I agree. I don't think we're downing on anybody. I think it's just a, a product of our culture and our society that has geared us towards comfort yeah. and geared us towards ease. And so it's not like, oh, you're bad. You're yeah. soft. It's like, yeah, not, this no. is what's been brewing in our country for a long yes, time. Right. And it's just, it's this, what we call the undercurrent yes. of secularism, right? Like right. these things that they're not blatant, but you can feel them. And so, oh, the iPhone is even more intuitive. Your car is even more comfortable. Yeah. Your clothes are even more better fitting and, and, and softer. And it's like when everything pushes us towards comfort, but our faith doesn't, yeah. 
you know, sometimes those wires get crossed yep. a little bit. Right. So. Yep. So not, not downing or trashing anybody. All you have to do is go down to Mexico, cross the border, and you're in a place where people need daily bread. Right. And they're struggling just to make it. And there's just a, that breeds a toughness in people and a dependence on God that we've learned people in poor countries are more dependent on God actually and trust him more. Um, you live where we live. I got, you know, I get hungry. I just run to Walt Wendy's just two blocks down the road, you know, and I've got, I've got lunch really easy. Yeah. It just creates a, a love of comfort and kind of expecting everything to be easy like that. And so when things don't get easy, it's like, what's wrong? Yeah. Because we're not used to it. Which is actually why you didn't pay the staff this month. You said, hey, we're going <laughs> to depend on God. And so. Yeah. So we're going to. You said, so no paychecks this week, but you get to really be dependent on God. So you're welcome. I said, oh, thank you, Garen. <laughs> okay, Names of God is over. Um, you want to talk about maybe this upcoming week and then what the next series is just to give people a little taste? Yeah, gonna we're going to jump back in the Psalms. Uh, somebody's like, yeah, we did that last year. I'm like, well, there's 150 of them. It'll take us 10 years. I, and I don't mean to do 10 summers of the Psalms, but uh, but they actually love the Psalms. They were glad. We're going to get back to Psalms. But this week, I'm going to get back to... Um, the Kairos moment that I, I just touched, skimmed the surface back when I talked about God, Yahweh Shammah, the God who was there. I want to talk about more. How do you know those? How do you enter into those in your life? Because I think it's a very significant conversation to have. And I, I want us being more attuned to how God may be wanting to speak or act into our lives. So we're going to do Kairos this month, cool. this week, then jump into the Psalms. So very cool. Can't wait. Karen, thank you for names of God. Thanks for the time you take to prep it and go through it and think through it diligently. I've heard a lot, a lot, a lot of good things about it. And so we just appreciate your time and taking time to flesh that out and then make it understandable for us because it's just been a really good couple of months. So appreciate it, man. Right. All right. Hey, next week, Kairos moment and uh, then on to the Psalms for the summer. So we'll see you guys there. <laughs>